And uh, it's, it's a joy to be with you, and uh, thank you for leading us to Jesus, uh, musicians, and uh, Brandon, and uh, my heart's already full. Uh, I am from New Hampshire, but I was born in New York, if that helps a few of you from New York, half of you are from out of state, so uh, 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 my dad was going to Houghton College when I was born. He was like 40, let's see, he was 42 when I was born, and he moved to New Hampshire to start pastoring his first church, so I was born here, brought up in New Hampshire, and uh, and sort of followed the family business and became a pastor uh, by the grace of God. And uh, the Lord's been good. I'm traveling with my wife, Sharon. We're jetting out of here today, driving down to Pennsylvania. My, our youngest son turns 30 today. He doesn't know we're showing up, and um, we're kind of excited about that. Uh, we have five, we've raised five children, now I have six because one's married. Uh, and I, up until last year, had been uh, the lead pastor of a church we planted in 2002 in Concord, New Hampshire, called River of Grace. I'm still an elder there, but the young guys run the church, and I show up when I can. Uh, I work for Acts 29, the church planning network, which renovations a part of, and, and Mike uh, is our area lead for upstate and western New York, and uh, our goal is just to see churches planted worldwide. Anyway, that's a little bit about uh, myself, and I am thrilled to be here to continue walking with you through the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're new uh, to the series or to Renovation or to even Christianity, Ecclesiastes is a challenging book. Um, it's asking the big question by the smartest man that probably ever lived, Solomon. Solomon is asking the question, what is the meaning of life? And whether you're 10 or 70 or somewhere in between, we, that's a question, why am I here? Why was I born? Um, it, is, it is the major question of the meaning of existence. Why are we here? And so the writer of Ecclesiastes is going down all the roads, like he's the wealthiest man, the smartest man, and he's going down, he pursues pleasure, he pursues success, he, he pursues love, and, and wrestling with this question, uh, why am I here? And answering that question, then how should I live? And so this is foundational to what it means as we, as those who, um, and most of you in this room, are following Jesus or, or trying to follow Jesus or wrestling with following Jesus, um, that's, that's what we're here trying to wrestle with today. Well, coming to Syracuse, I had to look to some uh, little background here, and I didn't realize this, but you're one of your most famous people who are, was resident here and born here is Tom Cruise. And uh, uh, he and I were born like within a year of each other. So um, don't I look like Tom? No, just kidding. No, don't I look like Tom? Just kidding. He's, he's short. I just made a joke. I'm that's bad. Um, let's just say Tom decided to invite you to one of his homes. Now, I, don't, I don't think he owns a home here in Syracuse, but he owns a home in Mar uh, Manhattan. He owns a home in Suffolk, England. He owns a home in uh, Hollywood. He owns a home in Telluride, Colorado. He owns a penthouse in Clearwater, Florida. Or he did. Uh, there's skeptic, this question. He's kind of like, he's, he's like a half a billionaire. And so I think he flips homes sometimes. But anyway, let's just assume Tom Cruise from Syracuse invited you to his house. How would you, like, prepare for that? How would you relate to that? Like, maybe you don't, don't even know who Tom Cruise is, and so you don't watch movies and... You go, well, I'm not going. I mean, that could be part of it. Or you're, you're not really a fan, but like, you know, it gives you bragging rights to say that you've been to Tom Cruise's penthouse in 
in, in Clearwater or his uh, 15th Avenue home in, um, in Manhattan. How would you uh, relate when you got there to Tom Cruise? Well, Tom has not invited you to his house, I don't think, but God has invited you to his house. And so the question this morning is, how do we relate to God if he's invited us to his house? That's sort of the, the big question, the theme of the morning, is how do we relate to God since he's invited us to his house? We will be looking at, um, in a moment, Ecclesiastes chapter, uh, I hope I got the right text, uh, 5, 1 through 7, that's right. That's the one I'm preaching on, right? Uh, and as we think about that, and we're being invited into God's house, let's just think about God for a moment. One of my sons, we have four sons and a daughter, as I mentioned. Well, now we have two daughters because I have a daughter-in-law. Uh, one of my sons set up a beehive in our yard. He's tried to raise bees, raises them successfully until winter hits, and so far we haven't had a successful uh, uh, survive the winter th- deal with beehives. But bees are just remarkable. Like, there are bees that their job is to go find flowers. They come back to the hive, and then they do this. They act out a, a way to get back to the flowers to the other bees. That's remarkable. God made that. Now, you may not believe that, and you believe in the fact that that's an accident, but um, take into account your eyeballs, like the things you're looking through, if you can see this morning. Um, when light hits the retina, that light-sensitive layer of tissue in the back of your eye, special cells called photoreceptors turn the light into electrical signals. Those signals travel from the retina through the optical nerve to the brain, and then the brain turns that signal into images you can see. God invented your eyeballs. Or you may believe that's an accident and that, that's your faith, but like, like if God made the eyeballs, and made dancing bees that give direction to flowers. Uh, He's inviting you to his house. How will you relate to this God? One more little picture of what God has made. It's estimated that there are roughly 200 billion galaxies in the observable universe. Most galaxies are approximately anywhere from 3,000 to 300,000 light years in diameter. That's pretty big. So there are 200 billion of these in the observable universe. They're massive. Uh, And using the Milky Way, which as our model, we can multiply the number of stars a typical galaxy to have being about 100 billion by the number of galaxies in the universe. And you come up with this mammoth number of stars that... And oh, by the way, the universe is expanding. And based upon a ton of experimental stuff, it's expanding. And uh, it, it seemed to have started, like uh, scientists will say, 13.8 billion years ago, but it's expanding. God made that. And he's invited you to his house. Bees, eyeballs, universes. This is the God who invites us to his house. Let's read the text. I'm reading, by the way, from the uh, Christian Standard Bible, so if that messes with you, I'm sorry. But if you have it in your... Oh, there it is. No, actually, I read what's up there. Maybe... Well, I don't know what... Is that... Shannon, what translation is that? ESV. Okay. 
I'll just read what's on the screen. That way we're not messing with you. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in the heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for it has no, he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. This is the word of the Lord. Our church, by the way, says, when I say this is the word of the Lord, they say, thanks be to God. So let's try that. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, uh, you have invited us to your place, and we, we want to relate to that and relate to you uh, appropriately. Lord, we look at this text, and we ask that it would help us as we approach you, as we enter your presence. Uh, you who have made bees and eyeballs and the universes, the galaxies and the stars, the billions and trillions of stars, Lord, may we relate with you appropriately Help this word from um, your, your, your book to, to help us in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to look at this idea that God is inviting us into his presence and, and asking the question, how should we approach him or how should we relate to him? And we basically have three ideas. We should relate to him deliberately, simply, and honestly. We're going to start with deliberately in verse 1. So that one delivery, one is first point, verse one. And as we think about being, uh, drawing near to God, uh, the story that we, we understand in the Bible is that we are alienated from God. Actually, I would use the term, you and I have an allergy to God. Like if you have allergies, you stay away from what you're allergic to. Like if you're allergic to gluten, you stay away from it. If you're allergic to certain pollens, you try to remove yourself from it. Well, because of our rebellious DNA, we are allergic to God, even though he's invited us. So you go, if you go to the early garden story, uh, the alienation started out of this idea that, that we bought into a lie that somehow we knew how better to run our lives than God did. And, and yet the Bible is filled with this assumption. The father is calling children back to his house, Okay. And so we read here the first admonition of this very unique book called um, Ecclesiastes. It's the first admonition about like clear teaching about how to approach God, how to relate to God. And by the way, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the Bible is divided into two parts. The Old Testament was God dwelt in a temple and people approached God in that temple. But in the New Covenant through Jesus, the temple are you. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells among us, even at the church at its hardest points, which we call church discipline. You're dealing with someone who claims to be a Christian, but fully is not following Christ. And so now you're wrestling with what to do with that. Jesus said, when two or three are gathered, even in that difficult and small gathering, I am in the midst of you. 
So the dwelling place of God in the Old Testament was in a building, a temple. Today, it's right here. Jesus is among us. We are his dwelling place right now on earth. And we end up in a place where, if you read the last chapter, chapter 21 of Revelation, is that the last chapter? It might be one more after that. I get confused. I'm old. Uh, Revelation chapter 21, it says, God's dwelling place will be with man finally. So that's the grand story. But as we look at this text, how do we relate with God? Well, it says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Better to approach in obedience than to offer the sacrifice as fools do, for they ignorantly do so. So here we have this picture of house, the house of God. 20 years ago when we started the church, the newsboys had a song out called My Father's House. It's kind of, you know, come and go with me to my father's house. If you don't know it, that's fine. But I, I love that song because I thought it was a, a really great way to invite people to what it's like to be in the father's house. And it, and it put it down on children's levels. Like, where we, there's a big yard where we can play football. Go Patriots. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> sorry, that was probably stupid. Um, isn't Mike like a Steelers fan? I mean, at least he could be a Bills fan, right? Like, uh, but anyway. All right, sorry. The house of God. I'm sorry, I got, I got delayed. That wasn't in my notes. Um, you're invited and wanted in the Father's house. Jesus said, he quoted an Old Testament uh, uh, psalm, or I'm sorry, from Isaiah, where he said, um, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, that may scare you, like, oh, I don't want to go to a prayer meeting. No, prayer is intimacy with the Father. I get to talk with the Father. I mean, God's house is a place where you get to be intimate with the God who made the bees, the eyeballs, and the universes. This is what you're invited to. And all through the scripture, you get this idea that God is Father. I, I uh, this year, have devoted myself to my devotional life is in Isaiah. Rather than reading the Bible through again, I decided I'm going to just park myself in one book. It's Isaiah. Isaiah 63, 16 says, The Lord, our Father, your name is our Redeemer from ancient times. Now, all the way back in Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah was calling God Father. One of the great stories in the New Testament is the story of the prodigal son. And uh, if you haven't read The Prodigal God by Tim Keller, you ought to. It's just a fantastic uh, understanding of that, that, that story Jesus tells. But the idea of the prodigal son is that there's this father who longs for his wandering son to come home. That is how God feels about each of us. And I mentioned already the book of Revelation in chapter 21, it says, and God will dwell in a city with his people and the gates will never close. In other words, no longer is there any barrier between us and God again. So this, this, this first admonition in Ecclesiastes says, so guard your steps when you go to the house of God. What does that mean? Well, think of guardrails. The idea of guarding is, is to protect, stop a violation. In the past, I used to go into uh, prison, and half the job of the prisoner, prison guards is to keep the prisoners in line, but the other part of their job is to keep the employees safe. Well, think of it this way. Our approach to God ought to be one where we are watching against violations to our Father. The primary first step towards the Father is one of repentance, which we've already done today. Christ has paid for the violation, but let's just kind of own the fact that, you know, like, like we haven't done, like that prayer said, we haven't done everything you, the Father wants us to do. 
And so part of this idea of guarding is to be protective to our approach. He raised the idea of obedience here. That obedience is, is, is this idea that I want to please the Father. We, we read how, when we did the confession there, I just love how the Lord lined these things up. Like we did the confession there, it says the greatest sort of distillation, distillation, is that the right word? When you boil down the, all the moral law, it's to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then how does that work out? Love the person closest to you. So, so as we approach God, we're asking ourselves, okay, am I, am, I, am I pleasing the Father? Am I walking the way that Dad would want me to live? Am I following his household rules? Am I loving the people he put in my life? Am I obeying the Father? Because unlike Tom Cruise, who might invite you to one of his homes for you know, some hors d'oeuvres and a charcuterie board and maybe a little wine and then goodbye, the Father's inviting you and his daughters and his sons to live with him forever. Because he loves you. And so our approach is one of like, oh my goodness, how am I, how am I coming into the Father's presence? And he mentions here the sacrifice of fools. Fools are those who take, they're haphazard, they're not, they're not, they're, they're, they're offering sacrifices ignorantly. A fool is actually, to put it in English, is like stupid. Like you're approaching the God who created the bees, the eyeballs. And all the galaxies with the trillions and billions and hundreds of millions of, of stars, and then sent his son to do- bail you out of your, your rebellion. You're approaching him haphazardly, carelessly, without a measure of guarding your steps. That is a fool. So, how do you relate to God? I th- I, 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 it's probably an imperfect word, but like deliberately, like you're being invited into the Father's house. So watch your steps. Be obedient. Don't be haphazard like a fool. He is, he is, he is inviting you into his presence. And if you don't have a good model for that, think of Jesus. Think of how he related to his Father very deliberately. Because Jesus is showing us the Father and showing us the way to the Father. He said that. I am the way to the Father. You can trust his good pattern, his good model. Remember, the Old Testament, the house of God was a place. The New Testament, the house of God, are we his people. And so approaching the Father's house right now is like, how do we gather as his people? Do we do it deliberately? A second thought, how do we relate to God? is simply, verses 2 and 3. Do not be hasty to speak. Do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in the heavens and you are on the earth, so let your words be few. Just as, as dreams accompany much labor, so also fools' voices come with many words. If you're not familiar with the story of the prodigal son, like he comes home and it said he prepared a speech to try to become an employee of his dad because an employee of his dad was being treated than, than being an employee in, in, uh, in the marketplace. And so he had this speech prepared, and the father shut him down. He, just shut, he doesn't want to hear a long speech. Now, don't get me wrong. Dad likes to hear the words from his son. But thoughtless, hasty speeches 
given without thought, as we rush into the Father, into His presence, is not what is, is simply best. When the Lord taught us to pray, which is the house of prayer, how do we, how do we enter God's presence? Our Father, who art in the heavens. I'll come back to that in a minute. Hallowed, like, let me be in awe of you. It's good to stop and just be in awe of the Father. By the way, that, in that prayer, um, this is a side note, um, our Father who in the heavens, that word is plural. Paul later would say, I, I knew a man who was taken up to the third heaven. In the day, they thought of heavens as three words, or three ways. Jesus said the birds of the, the birds of the heavens, like right around us. So like, and then the second heavens were like, uh, the Psalms call the stars of the heavens. So it's the universe. And then the Bible refers to where God dwells in, in the beyond heaven. Think of it this way. Our Father is the Father who's around us and above us and beyond us. This is the God we approach. Let our words be few. Don't get me wrong. God, God's, God doesn't, he gave you a mouth to talk. But you heard the old adage, he's given you two ears. So listen twice as much as we talk. God has words he wants to say to you. He wants to affirm you. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. Just you. You're one of a kind. We all wrestle with this identity issue. Like when you were woven together in your mother's womb, he liked how he put you together. His plans for you are good. So let's not be impulsive or reckless. Give it some time. By the way, sometimes running to the Father, we, we just are so broken. We're wrestling with internal struggles. We have, we're, we're jacked up in so many ways, and so all we do is cry. And that's okay. But after the crying's done and you receive the divine hug of how God's often that comes through sisters and brothers in the church, after that, come into his presence simply to listen. Let your words be few. Jesus warns in his great sermon on the mount, Matthew chapter 6, he says, when you pray, in other words, you enter the house of God, don't, he says, Jesus said, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. I love prayer meetings. I don't like long prayers. It's just part of his ADHD. You want to, you know, like, 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 but part of it is like this, this belief that we don't have to, like, God doesn't need flourishing words. Now, if you're an English lit person and you can put it into poetry and you got all sorts of symmetry and all that, then go for it. But like most of us, I mean, Jesus' model prayer is pretty short. By the way, the recorded words of Jesus, one estimation is, if you take the red letter edition of the Bible, 31,426 words. That's basically two days of males talking. Women talk a little bit more, but not much. Jesus, all we have from the Son of God, his words on earth, were two days worth of talking. I'm not trying to discourage you from talking to the Father. I'm trying to urge you to simply be in his presence. Listen to him. Let your words be few. The less words I speak, the less I gossip. The less words I speak, 
the less I complain, the less words I speak, the less I exaggerate, embellish, and shade truths I propagate. The less words, the less lies. The less words, the less cruelty. And the less words, the more I hear the voice of God. He, mentions, he makes this line like, you know, a, a busyness creates lots of dreams. I think what he's talking about there is like, we, we can be so scattered mind and, and have, think about this and think about that and think about this. And we, we're, it keeps us from hearing simply the words of God. And so let me, from this text, urge us as we come into the house of God to come deliberately, like to our Father, and come simply first to hear. And then when it's time to speak, speak. But like, like God knows what we need before we ask. So, and, I, and, like, and if you're a verbal person, then verbal away. I don't know if that's our term, but verbal away, it's fine. But like here saying like, God's not, God's not moved by your lengthy prayers. And sometimes we talk so much we can't listen and it distracts us from hearing the voice of God and changing and responding. So how do we relate to God deliberately, simply, and lastly, honestly? Going, Dave, this sermon is going along pretty quick. The last point is kind of a longer point here. But the idea of honestly, he makes this big thing about vows. And I think in our context, if you can think of a legal contract, like if you bought a house or you're buying a car and you have to sign all those forms, like uh, they are binding you to a contract. And the idea that we are verbally making a contract with God and with people, verbally, to God matters as much as all those, you know, 30, 40 documents you signed to get a mortgage. When you make a vow to God, don't delay fulfilling it, because he does not delight in fools. (laughs) The second time in this text, we're called stupid if we do something. And here is like, if we say we're going to do something, then do it. Fulfill what you vow. Better, verse 5, better that you do not vow than that you vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth bring guilt on you and do not say in the presence of the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry with you with your words and destroy the works of your hands? For many dreams being, um, bring futility, so do many words. Therefore, fear God. Jesus actually, I think, reduces this to a line again in his Sermon on the Mount, let your yes be yes and your no, no. So why is God so like interested? Why does he place such a high value on honesty? Why is this a big deal to God? Because God is the God of all truth. There's no lie, there's no deception, there's no darkness in God. He, it, it, and, and, and if we are to be his children, then to be like him means we speak truth. We, we fulfill what we say we're going to do. Think of the first image bearers, Adam and Eve. When Adam was confronted by God saying, where are you, Adam? Hey, why are you hiding? Is this a game? Adam said, I heard you in the, in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You see, Adam was afraid to deal with truth, the truth that he'd rebelled. What, how would the story have gone? If rather than hiding, and God showed up as he did every day to meet with his, his daughter and his son, well, how, how would it have gone if he just was kneeling and saying, 
when God showed up, Adam just said, Father, we've done wrong. We, we've sinned. I, I don't know if like, there would have been an immediate resolution to that. Christ might have been crucified on the spot and like, we all would have been born into paradise. I don't know. There's, a, there's, a, there's, there's an intentionality to God's this story of humanity and he wants a bigger family than just Adam and Eve. But, and I, I'm, I'm speculating here. But that's not what Adam did. Adam could not handle the truth, and so he did the opposite. And he was afraid to deal with truth. And then, as soon as God said, you have eaten of the apple, and what, the, the first words out of Adam's mouth is to blame somebody else. It's the woman you gave me. Not my fault. It's her fault and your fault. One of the reasons God loves truth is because we are being honest with not just who we are, but who he is. Vows, by the way, are, are, are we don't, we, the, the, the most common cultural way we use vows is wedding ceremonies. We, we have these promises made. I don't like doing weddings, by the way, and I don't have to do many anymore because now I'm sort of almost retired. And I say, the only reason I don't like that is because, like, God gets so removed from the picture. I mean, like, like they'll spend more cake on the, on, on, on the wedding than they do on the pastors. That's a little, I'm like jealous with the cake. Um, but the real reality is, is like the vow stuff is so, it's, it's so minimalized. And what is supposed to be a, a, a celebration and a picture of Christ's love for his bride. In fact, it says in Isaiah that God looks at his people like a bridegroom loves his bride. That's, that's the wedding picture. Vows, are, that's about the only place we use the term vows. And another reason I don't like weddings because half the weddings I performed are now over, the wedding, the marriages are over. And God loves divorced people, and I'm not putting, I'm just saying it just hurts. Like, but here we have vows that are, are like are money related. <laughs> like it's the handshake deal. It's not like the buy your car and sign all those papers and they can repossess it. It's like a handshake deal. And God's saying, like, if you do that with God and your vows, whatever that vow may be, keep it. I made a vow as a little kid. My mom helped me with this. We got, she taught us how to be generous. When we were little, she'd give us a, a, ten pennies, a dime. And she taught us that one of those belongs to God. And from a little guy, I learned, like, the best of my ability any increase in my house, any increase in my income, God's always going to get that 10%. I'm, I'm not saying that's legalistic. I'm just saying it's, and I found great liberty in that. And I kind of get ruthless. I tell people, well, yeah, it just, it just helps me to be more generous. And, 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 and it's a good starting place. And so this is talking about money. But he, he's more concerned about people who don't keep their word because God is a God who keeps his word. And if we're in his house and we're to be his children, we're to be people who are truth tellers. And here we see words and work measured together. God says, you can't keep your word. Why should I bless your works? We want God to bless his works. Be people of the word. Keep your word. And mostly because God is a God who keeps a promise. This is a picture of the covenant. I love the fact that the church that renovation is planted is called covenant. God 
gives his word to you that in Christ you are forever fully forgiven and adopted and all that belongs to Jesus. Do not fear, little flock. It is my Father's intention to give you his kingdom. All those words from Jesus are a promise to you and he intends to keep every word. If we're in his family, he wants us to replicate that. So how do we approach God? Deliberately, simply, and honestly. Friends, if you're not in, 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 in the Father's house, he's inviting you today. He's saying, I've paid the way. I want you to spend eternity with me. I invite you in. Christ is the, the way, the truth, the life. His, his way is the way of life. His way is the way of truth. His way is the way into the Father's presence. That's what he says. If you're not in the faith, I urge you to talk to someone about the questions you have and the struggles you have and the doubts you have and the feelings you have. You you may have church hurt. I get it. Like, I grew up in the church. I didn't want to be a pastor. In fact, I wanted to follow Jesus but never go to church again. And I joke, I'm so bad, I had to be paid for 30 years to go to church. But that's the reality is, is God is inviting us into his home. Be in awe of that. And friends in the church, you who are members or should be members or or regular attenders, the house of God right now is not a place in Israel. It's a people gathered in this room. How will you approach God as you enter this house and gather with his people? As his spirit says, you are the temple of God. You're not sure how that looks? I'm just going to say it like this. Walk deliberately like Jesus did. Talk simply like Jesus did. And keep your promises, keep the covenants like Jesus did. Because you are his workmanship to be like his son and to be an ever-present member in his household. So welcome to the house of God. Guard your steps, watch your speech and come honestly before a Father who adores you. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this text, which reminds us that entering your presence is not to be done um, flippantly. It's not to be done without thought. It's to be done deliberately. Lord, you're not looking for grand speeches here with people who've got flowery words, or many words. You're looking for children who come to their father help us to listen and then lord help us to live out in a life of integrity of honesty of being people who do what we say that we're going to love you with our heart mind soul and strength and to love the people nearest to us help me with that father help my sisters and brothers at renovation and father For those in this room who wrestle with you, who doubt you, who are seeking, help them, Father. Answer their questions. Show them your love. Remove their doubt. Help them with shame. Lord, draw them to yourself that they too would be daughters and sons of the Most High. We pray all this believing that we have gathered with your people today and your presence is with us. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen.